Hi folks, welcome back to On Call with Insignia, where you go on call with leaders innovating the future of Southeast Asia's internet and digital economy, or as we like to call it, Asia Innovation. Before we go on call, don't forget to follow our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And you can follow us for daily content for founders and investors on Twitter at InsigniaVC and Instagram at Insignia underscore VC. Now let's head into the call. So in this episode, we have another very special guest. He's a founder that Insignia has been privileged to be supporters of ever since their first round and it's a privilege to have their CEO and co-founder here today. So talking about none other than Nectar.ai CEO and co-founder Abhijit Vijay Virgia. A little bit on Abhi before we get into our conversation. So Abhi has more than a decade experience in the SaaS industry. So he started out customer success, became an account executive and grew into a sales leader. And now he's founder of a B2B SaaS startup, which is Nectar. So he has a vast experience in terms of SaaS, which we'll be talking a lot about today. More importantly, as of our recording, they just announced closing their seed round at more than 8 million, which is one of the largest seed rounds for a B2B SaaS startup here in the region. So congratulations to, to Abby and the Nectar team for that. Really excited to talk more about Nectar specifically and, and the solutions that you guys have been coming up with, as well as your larger thoughts around SaaS, because Abby, uh, our guest for today, is also very much a thought leader in the SaaS space. If you can check out his LinkedIn, he writes a lot about it, and he also speaks a lot in different Clubhouse sessions, if any of our listeners are, are in Clubhouse as well. Abby, how are you doing? Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me over Paolo. Uh, great to meet you today and we are very thankful to Insignia Venture Partners. They've been our backers from early days. Tinglan is a great friend as well. He knew me from past two when I was with another startup and he was with another fund. So the association goes long back and privileged to have you guys as part of our journey. I'm very excited to be here on the show and happy to share my learning with your audience. I think it's really great that you and Yingland had already known each other. So I wanted to introduce Nectar first to our audience and sort of give them a background as to how Nectar came to be in the first place. I just want to ask, how did you meet your co-founder Aravind and then come together to start Nectar in 2020 specifically, right? What was the experience like and what perspective were you bringing into the business, setting it up, especially since you had spent previously more than a, a decade running a SaaS business as well? Yeah, Arvind and I know each other for 18 years now. Wingmates at IIT Kharagpur, where we both studied. We, we spent a lot of time during college. And then later on, we also were colleagues for a couple of years at Capillary when he was running one of the product modules. And I was part of the initial customer success and product team there. Then Arvind went on to do his MBA. He also did a couple of startups before he joined Zendesk, where he was working on creating a single view of support for a user. He was also running a distributed team, sitting in Singapore. He was having teams in Vietnam, Singapore, India, and US. So he was quite aligned with how remote teams and productivity gets unlocked largely for product and engineering teams. I was coming from a background where I had spent a lot of time scaling SaaS. I started in customer success, then spent a little bit of time on product. to give a lot of feedback that we are seeing in terms of customers' use of the product. Uh, the ROI we are generating for the customer. But then the founders in my previous company wanted to hire more salespeople. So they asked me if I would want to give sales a swing. I was hesitant initially, but then I agreed to give it a shot. And then there was no looking back. For the last seven years, I've been selling professionally. And largely from being one salesperson to hiring the next five to 10. And then at, at my peak, I was running around 52 members and that came with a lot of responsibility that came with a lot of fast decision making because we're going through hyper growth phase. So how do you quickly hire salespeople, enable them, invest into sales capacity ahead of time, and then also help make your salespeople more productive. 
I was also a board member at my previous company. I was elevated to the board of directors there at Capillary. We were looking for predictable and repeatable sales process. That was super hard as well. So all of these problems came by and then I realized these are global problems. Most B2B sales organizations go through problems around sales productivity. It's amongst the top two or three priorities for any organization. I shared that idea with Arvind that I'm looking to create something like a Google assistant for a B2B sales. That was the original thought I had. If Google had to build a product for B2B sales professionals, how it would look like. Or if Apple is building a product for B2B salespeople, what it should be in terms of how it should look at data, how it should analyze the data and then guide the salespeople. So he quite liked that idea and he was coming from the technology and complexity angle of it, whether it'd be an interesting problem to solve. And yeah, there was a comfort of working together. So we both decided to narrow on this effort and yeah, we quit our respective companies. In February 2020, we started Nectar. So that's how it was born. It's pretty interesting how the pain points that you were seeing as you became a sales leader within capillary technologies eventually spun out into what Nectar is today. And something interesting that I, that I wanted to ask about is the fact that you guys started in the midst of the pandemic. And one of the effects of the pandemic has been a lot of acceleration in terms of digital transformation for a lot of businesses and businesses just investing a lot more into their tech stack, although this trend has been ongoing even before the pandemic, but it just sort of sped up. So how has this shift impacted the way Nectar got its feet on the ground in terms of working on its initial product? And how do you see the shift in digitalization impacting Nectar looking towards your full launch out of beta in the following year? I think starting the business during the pandemic was the best thing we could have done. When we started in February and the world was closing down in March, we did think a bit that, okay, what's going to happen next? And we are into this uncharted territory. We decided to stay put and just understand the macro trends, talk to users on what is happening to them, because we knew that whatever happens at a global level, the businesses will not stop functioning, right? In order for businesses to survive, they have to sell. So we knew that sales would never stop. We just need to adjust to the new normal as everybody was doing. So one key learning for us was that sales was becoming more and more digital. B2B sales especially started accelerating on the digital transformation side. COVID was the final nail in the coffin where everybody dropped their resistance that was there. Uh, buyers were wanting to move digitally, but sellers were trying to do more of whining and dining in terms of sales motion. But everybody had to move to remote selling. That was phenomenal as a trend for us to observe and unfold in front of us. Because most of our computers in the sales tech landscape have been built pre-COVID. So these are like 2019 and before. So they have built the tech stack in a very different way. It's not designed or supported to offer a remote experience. We just felt that we had a great shot at building something unique for the current situation. If you look at Gartner's study that came out during the COVID times around the overall sentiment across B2B buyers, how the sales interactions are shifting remotely. I think their prediction is that by 2025, more than 80% of sales transactions would be fully digital. These are B2B sales transactions. B2C anyway is getting more and more digital, but even B2B, they are talking about a bigger ticket sizes as well. And we saw in COVID, a lot of sellers were closing million dollar deals as well, sitting remotely. But what that is resulting into is more and more data silos, more and more disconnected tools across different functions. And you don't have that eyes and ears that you can have on the ground when you meet a salesperson and you're able to guide and coach them. You have lack of visibility into what they are doing, lack of accountability with the revenue process, inconsistency with playbook adoption, and in general collaboration. There are a lot of collaboration productivity tools that are coming out for the remote work, but again, they are not custom built for a B2B sales use case. You have to integrate them into your CRM and try to make it work for salespeople. 
so i think all these were very unique insights that we got as we were doing our customer development and it really helped us put the initial roadmap together and then we accordingly chose our design partners and we started building our product you pointed out that there are already solutions for sales teams even before the pandemic but then you guys came in and made solutions that actually fit the current situation and how the situation will evolve moving forward and so zooming into that one of the key features that you talk about often when it comes to nectar is these playbooks right can you explain to our listeners how exactly these playbooks work specifically towards increasing productivity and how do they translate into gains for sales teams especially within this context that businesses operate in now if you look at any sales organization or any business organization there is a particular playbook that they follow what i mean by that is it's a set of documentation process structure which are typically organized officially or unofficially it could be documented or undocumented but there is a playbook that everybody follows whether it's a founder or it's the first sales hire or it's the vp of sales or it's the next set of sales people everybody is expected to follow now what does this book consist of it basically consists of things that you need to effectively sell your product or services to give you some examples of it product positioning how do you position your product into a sales meeting how do you align your product solution to your customer needs so aka the use cases or what are the typical different talk tracks you can use during a particular type of conversation if it's a discovery call it's a demo call it's a negotiation meeting then there are battle cards against the name competitors there are specific name competitors who are coming out during a sales conversation or a meeting how do you handle those battle cards so you can handle that question or objection around let's say data security implementation post sales experience a lot of these objections come out during the conversations as buyers and sellers interact deeper into the sales process the overall sales process in itself what do you operationalize into your crm whether you use four stages four step sales process or you use eight to 10 steps there are different stages from a discovery demo qualification proposal negotiation document signing there are different steps which are involved in a b2b sales process which is quite complex there are like 20 other sales processes there out there so these are like different examples of playbooks half of these are never documented if documented most of it are reinvented by different people and everybody uses a different flavor of their own and then if you want your sales team to follow a particular process or methodology while you can implement it in crm you don't know exactly who all are following it because people don't update crm on time half the crm data is not updated and whatever is updated decays by 20-25% every year as a result what ends up happening is there is very poor operationalization of playbooks second even if something is operationalized there is no intelligence or visibility around it so we saw it as a big opportunity to make sales people productive and it also originated from a personal experience where i have run b2b sales teams and we tried to run very structured playbooks in order to scale the key goal that we used to track was how do you make a sales person close the first deal within the first quarter of joining the company and how do you get the average cohort of sales teams and performers to contribute as good as the best performing sales folks so what's the secret sauce which is like basically this playbook that you would want to optimize so we saw that there is a big opportunity that we could leverage here we spoke to a lot of sales organizations too over 150 during our customer development uh, thanks to covid a lot of sales people were not traveling so we could get access to a lot of people for interviews and we understood that over 75% of the organizations were not having proper playbooks in place even if in some cases they were having they don't know whether any change to this would impact their business or how many reps are adhering to this playbooks it just figured out that okay we can get started with providing an incredible playbook intelligence to our early customers and that was big success and we could positively impact their win rates and sales cycles and ramp time of 
their salespeople. So you also mentioned in your first press release back in November last year that you know most sales tools today work for the organization and make the user work for the tools rather than the tools actually working for the users. Can you explain how this applies into the context of Nectar being a new solution for revenue teams and, and perhaps share a specific scenario? Definitely. I think if you look at most of the conventional sales tools that exist today, they're built with the buyer in mind, which is the VP of sales or the chief revenue officer or the CEO of the company. Their needs are very different. They would like the dashboard. They would like to look at the summary. Whereas when you're looking at your users, they are generally overlooked. And in sales tools, they are mostly overlooked because the deal is done with the buyer and then the users have to deal with the product as is and it may not fit into their workflow. It might be too clunky, too complex. The UI is not friendly. A lot of time goes wasted, which happens with uh, most of the existing tools today which is where we also want to take a differentiated approach. Thinking about the account executive or the frontline manager who is working with his account managers and rolling up their sleeves, trying to win that quarter, trying to win that critical deal in that quarter, that's really important. How we can help them, right? If you look at VP of sales or sales leadership, they have a lot of accessibility to resources, not just tools and dashboards, but also resources will manually extract data like business operations team, sales operations team will generate uh, a lot of data points for them on the fly. But the same thing is not available to a manager or an AE because they also need some of these insights and data points, but they are overlooked and underserviced. We just wanted to build from a user first approach, then a buyer first approach. So obviously our checks will sign by the buyers, but when they see that their users are more productive, and they're bringing more business or more of their reps are successful, they won't mind investing in it. And I'm sure they don't hate their salespeople that they, they want them to use bad tools or bad UIs. This whole trend is also pointing towards that where new age tools are focused on the users from day one rather than just helping the buyer. So we, we definitely are looking at that scenario as well. Do you have a specific example of the, the gains or the cost savings that you're able to give to customers because of that differentiation and focus really on, on the front line, so to speak, of, of these different organizations. Definitely. There are two examples I'll give. One is on playbooks and then second is around our data enrichment side of it. So if I look at the playbooks in general, we've been able to think of playbooks as keeping your salespeople in a particular guardrails, what they need to follow as a process and the best practices. Nectar is able to show this playbook violations or playbook alerts to the users, not just into the system where you'd go and log in into a dashboard, but it's a UI-less thing. So it points to the user into their workflow. So the, I'm using Salesforce, something pops up or I get a WhatsApp or I get a Slack message or I get an email, right? The whole Google Assistant experience works where you get a pop-up or you book a Gojek or Grab and then you get a pop-up after like your ride where you can give a quick star rating. It's that kind of an experience which doesn't disrupt or which doesn't get the user to come on to another product. You, you get a UI-less experience which is pretty interesting. But these are very intelligent insights and contextual playbook alerts that we give. So as a result of that, more and more salespeople adopt these because they are into their workflow and they are relevant, so they follow it. So we have seen like 15% improvement in sales cycles, faster deal movement, and close to 12% improvement in win rates, more deals being won. So that's on the playbook side of it. When I look at uh, data enrichment side of it, because we have an AI tool and this tool connects with different data sources, we are able to bring in data from a lot of first-party data sources like email, calendar, Zoom, and some of the other uh, tools that the organization is using and the buyer-seller interaction data. We are able to intelligently connect it back to CRM and we update it into CRM for them. So that also Im improves their CRM data. Users are not needing to spend so much time in updating Salesforce. They can continue to do their work. And this is again a UI-less experience where 
the data is getting updated for them on their behalf without even them lifting a finger. We give around 20 to 25% of their time back to the users, which can be used for selling. So that's another use case that we have seen, which really come out strongly. It's just the small things, having to repeatedly check out for contacts or, or having to check out notifications, things like that can actually result in huge gains for the entire organization. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that you, you guys have really tapped into a, a huge market and clearly the investment interest has sort of reflected that as well. So once again, congratulations on closing your seed round. Now at 8.1 million, one of the biggest seed rounds for SaaS in the region and also led by B Capital traditionally a later stage investor, but they've really gone in early with you guys. So what does this mean for Nectar's growth trajectory for the rest of the year now that we've obviously seen product market fit, now you're seeing the investor response as well. And, and how does this affect your, your growth moving forward? First of all, thank you, Paolo. We are quite excited as well with the recent announcements we made. We are quite excited to partner with growth investors like B Capital. I think we are a bit unconventional check for them. They generally do growth rounds. So they came in seed because they were quite excited with the opportunity and they really saw a big market and a, and a great founding team with a strong experience. And they're very excited with the product roadmap. So very excited to have them on board and lead the round along with 314 Capital, who, who is also very founder-friendly investor, understands that pretty well. And we've had Nexus Venture Partners from day one. I mean, just like Insignia, Nexus also was there with the company from day one and Nexus participated uh, in this round as well to double down on their investment. It really just helped us to create a good team together on the investor side of it. It just gives us a lot of relation for doing more research and development, expanding on product and engineering team, and also build a go-to-market team, which we can use to focus on launching the product in US market. Uh, one big opportunity for the company is international growth. While we have a lot of target customers in Asia, but Asia is a little laggard with respect to new technology adoption, whereas US is a bit more early adopter. So we really wanted to go after the U.S. opportunity. So having some of these market investors and the additional capital in the bank helps us to hit that initial traction in the U.S. You talked about Asia sort of being laggard, but then on the other hand, what is the draw for Nectar being in the U.S. market? What are your thoughts on playing in more mature markets where potentially there are a lot more competitors while there are a lot more customers as well? The market is massive, right? While there are some names lately, I think sales tech, if you look at it, has largely seen traction in the last four or five years. Otherwise, it was all about the MarkTech era. We've seen a lot of marketing technology companies until 2015, 2016. That's when I think we started seeing some sales tech companies. And some of them are now unicorns. To take a few names, Zoom Info, Gong, Outreach, SalesLog, Seismic, HighSpot, Clary. I think there's some of these unicorns which are there in sales tech. But if you look at all of their customers put together, the six, seven of them, would be a fraction of customers what Salesforce has. Salesforce has more than 200,000 customers globally predominant market shares in US. When you look at that and compare the CRM market versus the largely and put all of, all of these tools into sales enablement, there's a system of record, then there is a system of enablement on top of it. It should be as big as the market as CRM and it could be even bigger market as businesses continue to grow and more and more B2B businesses adopt technology. Because CRM is still seeing a massive adoption if you look at it globally. It continues to grow. Salesforce grows at 22% year on year, even at their current scale. So we see a huge market, a fraction of it is taken by certain unicorns and they're all playing in specific categories. So, I mean, we're not worried about the competition per se. I mean, if you build a great product, solving an important key need of the customer, product market fit happens naturally.
So we're quite confident there. The thing that we don't want to miss out on is a delayed launch because US would be a market to lose. Asia would probably be still there for taking. Three to four years down the line, we could still win Asia. And and it's not like we're not having customers in Asia or not going to focus on it. But in terms of our GTM investments and outbound efforts are going to be largely focused towards the US market to win, win, win that opportunity. And this one thing, multiple players can exist in B2B SaaS, unlike B2C. Where it's winner-takes-all business, B2B SaaS is about multiple businesses coexisting in a particular sector. I wanted you to, to talk a little bit more about that whole progression and how you, you see it moving forward. One of your LinkedIn posts, you mentioned that until 2000, the world saw ERP and then until 2010, CRM and then 2020 was MarTech. And then you were sort of asking the question of whether or not the next decade will be the decade of sales tech. Perhaps you can share with the listeners your view of the world and how has this influenced Nectar's approach to growing its business? I definitely feel the next decade is going to be the decade for B2B sales technology. I think... We are right at that juncture where this needs to be disrupted. If you look at the history of B2B selling, it started from a technology sales standpoint, it started from Oracle, 1960s. There's the Oracle technology sales process, which is what got implemented in Salesforce. The five founders from Salesforce are mostly Oracle guys. They started in 1998 and in 2003 or 2004, Salesforce IPO'd. So there was so much of demand to digitize the customer records and do it faster. That a solution on the cloud, which just did this in terms of capturing record was a big hit because cloud itself was a disruption there, not the work or the use case of recording the contacts digitally, which is what Salesforce did. And they just accelerated the GTM motion and brought it to the world. And you could implement it very quickly. You can try a small user base. We can pay as you grow. So it became very easy for world to adopt CRM. So Salesforce just democratized it for the world. But the thing is, they grew so fast and they've then acquired so many companies and so many products and they've got into adjacent categories as well. Then HubSpot came in, right, 2005, and they brought in a big revolution around marketing tech. There are so many big players in MarkTech that came out and it became the big thing, how you could generate demand versus reaching out to customers, right? While outbound is still big and important, but inbound is equally big now and this increasingly becoming popular in markets like Asia as well. I think the overall B2B sales where the process is very complex was always thought of, I would say, art, then like being scientific or structured or process driven, where a technology can come and help the salesperson be better at their job. I think that was overlooked and which is what has started gaining traction now. I'm very bullish about the future of sales tech now, the right timing as well. It's it's the right time for a a system of data or system of intelligence. Uh, on top of that system of record that exists to make people productive. The AI use cases have also matured. I think building an AI solution is becoming easier because you have more tech available, more learning and experience out there. A couple of trends I see there is, one is, I think, consolidation. I believe that is going to be there. There are a lot of alpha products. I think Gartner published uh, the 39 rules of sales tech mayhem. I think there's a recent report which you should like read. It just came out, uh, I think, a few days back. It's a similar prediction there where I think consolidation is the name of the game where there are alpha products who are probably going to acquire a lot of other adjacent products or their competitors, which is happening as we see Zoom Info acquired Chorus, few other startups as well. Second, I believe, is uh, the movement from point solutions to platform. So what happened from 2005 to 2015 was everybody was going after a point solution opportunity because it was easier to do. You'll probably quickly build a point solution and build a 10, 15, $20 million business. There are a bunch of these point solutions that exist in the market for one or two use cases. But as a result of it, they use around two dozen tools in their sales tech. 
which is not possible. It's something which is counterproductive. We basically are seeing a, a concentration of tools as well in terms of feature set capabilities. The focus would be to move from point solutions to platform solution and to do more out of existing stack as buyers evaluate the next generation of tools because they would want their sales team to stay more focused, use a few tools, would do the job better and in a holistic manner versus like multiple point solutions stitching together with a bandit. It's definitely this rebundling of all these different solutions and the platformization to really scale the capabilities of sales teams as opposed to just enabling them, right? You're not just solving their pain points, but actually giving them solutions to actually do these things more effectively at scale, which is definitely good news for a lot of businesses. Connected experience. That's what we are looking at Nectar, that we're building this multi-channel go-to-market data platform that's connecting different tools and data sets across the revenue teams and bringing it together with a strong intelligence layer and a value proposition there is very compelling as we talk to the market. Even from the earlier parts of our conversation, you've already mentioned that you've really talked to these different businesses and you did find that customers are demanding the, the, this kind of solution and they do have that pain points that you guys are meeting. What is your advice for SaaS companies, especially here in Southeast Asia that are looking to go global, for example? I would recommend have the global first approach and that mindset from early days is very important because once you have that mindset, then you'll start thinking about the users in that market. And you'll start talking to those users. You'll start understanding their problems, their workflows, which are very different than what we see here in Asia. That's important because that defines your roadmap, that defines uh, your solution, that defines your positioning, that defines your go-to-market strategy. The longer you delay, the worse it gets for you. It's a harder climb later on. I mean, a lot of companies think, let's build a 4-5 million ARR business for in the first 3-4 years here. And then we go after the US market or other international markets for that matter. I think then you have to reinvent the wheel and you realize that the existing product or solutions doesn't directly fit into that market in, in terms of your distribution or even product use cases and all. So I would strongly advise any South Asian or Asian SaaS company I was building today or in the words of looking for international expansion to start thinking about it from day one. Second, I would say is focus on the problem. Once you identified the users in these markets, identified the problem that these users care about. So spend a lot of time with users before you build anything talk to them, understand what is missing and then build for that rather than thinking what you believe is missing and build and then try to port it. And of course, once you guys have built out your sales organization and then have begun going full force on your enterprise sales, then maybe consider Nectar as well. Definitely, definitely. We are there to help the ecosystem, not just in Asia, but any B2B sales organization who, who wants to be more productive. On that note, we've been talking a lot about all these serious, but, but still exciting stuff when it comes to SaaS and sales, revenue teams, all of that. But now we, I'd like to move into our rapid fire round. The most important part of our podcast is just casual, short questions, and you can just answer short and sweet answers as well. First up, if you could be in the shoes of another founder for a day, who would it be? Wow, that one is interesting. I think it would be Mark Benioff from Salesforce. I like to be his shoes largely because I've heard that he runs his business without using a desktop. I think he's got this one application he uses on his mobile phone where he's able to manage the entire $25 billion business. So I'm quite curious to see how that can be run. So I like to be him. And plus, he's basically the godfather of sales tech, I would say. Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting running the whole business from your phone. All right, next up. What's the biggest misconception people have about sales tech? A lot of teams think that if you throw money at the tools, it will solve all your problems. Money can't solve all problems, right? Tools that way where you spend money on won't solve all problems. Investing in the right culture, in people, helping them with positive mindset, mental health, 
I think these are very important aspects, especially for sales professionals, because they undergo a lot of stress in order for changing their quarters. It's important to create a positive culture and then also have a very high performance culture. So that generally is not taken that seriously compared to investment in tools. And that's the reason why we still have sales professionals and the space hasn't been entirely taken over by, by AI, right? Because there's still elements of that process which do need that human engagement. I think AI can enable and assist. It won't replace the B2B sales folks. All right, next question. We've all been students once and arguably are always students of life. So what's the most memorable class that you've been in? So I did my first CrossFit class some six or seven years back. I was not in my best of health. I, I've lost a lot of weight in the last couple of years when trying to balance out my fitness and health along with the work. But yeah, I mean, back then, I really struggled. I was overweight too. So I think the first CrossFit class was, was not exactly <laughs> fun. It was memorable, not in a fun way. Yeah. Stop doing like the sports and lifts and everything. At least you stuck through it and until now you, you still do a lot of exercise yourself. And speaking of which, you also wrote an interesting article on LinkedIn linking how playbooks for revenue teams can also be applied in terms of exercise. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Yep, I see a lot of similarity between sales and sports. Whatever you do on sports can be applied in sales. Look at professional sports. You need like uh, high performing athletes who are trained, coached, who practice, who hydrate, who follow a certain playbook during the match, before the match, then they follow a particular rhythm and then they have coaches who are training and coaching them. I think the same is true for salespeople as well, where high performers really are on top of their game. They practice, they hydrate, they improvise during the game. They also follow the right coaching and advice from the sales manager. Personally speaking, I've been using a few running apps. When I'm running, I've started using all these new apps. They will guide you in terms of your first 5 kilometers, first 10 kilometers and everything and improve your pace. So you just follow it day by day and it just improves you. And I, I saw that. So that was also an inspiration for me that if AI or the guided training can be applied into running and I personally experienced it or any kind of sports, it definitely can be done in B2B sales as well. Thanks very much for coming on the show, Abhi. Really appreciated you talking more about Nectar and how you came to start this startup just last year, but have seen it really grow ever since you announced your initial round earlier last year. You guys have already a couple of beta customers, more than 200 companies now on the wait list and looking forward to actually launching to the public next year. No, oh, definitely. And thanks for having me over, Paolo. And we're just keeping our wait list open until end of this year. So anybody who's interested in joining our waitlist program can still go ahead and register on our website. And if folks are interested in joining the company as well, we are hiring across all functions. So they can just reach out to us on our website or just ping me or Arvind with why they want to join us and how they can help the company. And we'll be happy to like consider that. Yeah, definitely. We'll leave the website in, in our episode description so you guys can check it out and, and the LinkedIn of Abhi and, and his co-founder Arvind as well. So you can reach out to them. I think it's definitely been a learning experience for me listening to you talk about SaaS, really going in-depth into revenue teams and that whole value chain that tends to be overlooked at times. And I'm sure it has been for our listeners as well. So once again, thank you, Alki. Thank you, Paolo. Thank you for having me on your show. Stay on the line with us for more conversations with our founders and investors in the region. Until our next call, I am Paolo Aquino and this has been On Call with Insignia Ventures.